0: Thank you. there we were just my mom and my dad and me it was a perfect day perfect sky perfect temperature but we were not thinking about the weather we were just standing there each of us waiting to see who would be brave enough in that moment to to break through the silence and and begin the first goodbye You know it's coming. When you take your kid off to college and, and you do that, you know, that day for parents and incoming students, you help them move in and you decorate the room and you go to the little thing and you eat the food and then you have that moment at the car after all of that. And all the activity is done, all of the fanfare is over and It's time. It's time. You know it's coming, and yet no, no matter how prepared you feel in that moment, there's always this little bit of hesitancy in your heart when you turn and take that first step away from the people that have just spent the last 18, 19 years pouring into you. In that moment, you're thinking, can I do this? Am I allowed to do this? They're just going to let me go? As parents, you're thinking, are they ready for this? They know they need to wash their own clothes now, right? Like, There's so many things and so much hesitancy in that that moment. I can't help but wonder if this is much how the disciples felt in this moment with Jesus. The scene is found in Mark chapter 6. They'd only been with Jesus for a very short time. And then all of a sudden, Jesus pulls them together, and he begins pairing them off two by two, and he sends them out. And I'm sure when they turned from Jesus and took that very first step away from him, they had that same sense of hesitation. Can we do this? Does he know what he's doing? Are we ready for this? It's a scene we don't often reflect on when we talk about discipleship and what it means to be both a disciple of Jesus, but also what it means when we go and make disciples. And yet the scene, this moment is preserved for us in scripture for a reason. It's recording for us both the strategy and the intentionality of Jesus and how he does discipleship. We've talked over the past few weeks as we're constructing this picture of discipleship and what it means for us to be disciples and go and make disciples. We talked a few weeks ago about how discipleship is biblical or discipleship is Jesus-centered. We talked about how at the center of this is not other conversations, other things. It's, it's God. It's his word. It's the image of Jesus that we're pursuing. So, so the takeaway was, was read scripture, talk Jesus. Remember that? Read scripture, talk Jesus. When we come together to disciple at Northeast, that's the fabric. That's at the center. Read scripture, talk Jesus, because we want to look like him. But then Chad talked to us last week that discipleship is personal, Discipleship isn't just learning stuff, or discipleship is coming together and doing life together. And so Jesus inserts himself, as Chad showed us, he inserted himself into the disciples' work. He joined them in the boat and their work, and then he invited the disciples into his world and his work. But this week, as we look at Mark chapter 6, we're going to see that Jesus' form of discipleship is also missional. Discipleship is missional, See, here's the thing. Jesus required his disciples to be on mission in the world as a part of their training in the word. And if we want to be disciples of Jesus, and if we want to go and make disciples of Jesus, we have to require both being on mission in the world as well as training in the word. Otherwise, we're just making students but we're not making disciples. And we see this in Jesus' example in Mark chapter 6. So turn with you to Mark chapter 6 if you're there already, or if you're not, uh, pull it up on whatever app you use or the Bible. There's one under your seat, or for those of you online, we'll put them on the screen as well so you can follow along. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 7, Mark records this. And he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. So Mark tells us, verse 7, that Jesus called them, and he began sending them out. Now, this may not seem strange to you. This may seem like what Jesus should be doing, the picture of Jesus that you're expecting. But I would argue it's definitely not the picture that the disciples were expecting, not at this point. See, contextually, these disciples have only been following Jesus for a very short amount of time. It's Mark chapter 6. We're still early in the journey. Jesus has just called the disciples to himself not that long ago. And in fact, it's only at the end of chapter 4, so less than two chapters earlier, the end of chapter 4, that they're out on a boat together in the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up. The disciples are terrified, fearing for their lives. Jesus calms the storm and Mark chapter 4 verse 41 says that the disciples, seeing all of this, they turn to each other and they say, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? So less than two chapters ago, less than a few moments ago, the disciples are actively asking the question, Who's this guy? And now Jesus is turning to them, saying, Hey, go into the world as my representatives. I don't know about you, but when I when I piece all of that together, I have the sense that maybe they weren't ready. Like Maybe we're being premature here, Jesus. Like if they still haven't figured out your identity as the one true son of the one true God, maybe they're not ready to be telling people about you. I mean, these guys haven't even finished disciple school yet. They haven't walked across the stage and had their pictures taken with Jesus and getting the little piece of paper. And yet Jesus is already sending them out. Too often in the church, we view going out or being sent out as like the last step in this journey of following Jesus. Like once you've arrived, once you've learned all the things you need to learn, and you know all the scriptures you need to know, then we will gather around you and pray over you and we will send you to a foreign country. Or maybe we'll just send you across the street to finally have that scary conversation with your neighbor. And we're like, no, 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 it's the, but I can't do that. I can't talk to my neighbor about Jesus yet because I don't know enough. And once I know more, then I will be able to go someplace. We view going, being sent, mission as like this graduate level thing in the Christian life. But look at the text, not so with Jesus. Jesus was not concerned with the level of the disciples' education. Jesus was simply concerned with the level of their faithfulness and obedience. He sends them out, arguably, before they're ready. Many of them still trying to figure out who he is. And Jesus sends them out. And the question is, why? We're going to unpack that question, but I want to just hover on this point for a moment because Jesus is showing us something about discipleship here. The discipleship isn't just instructional discipleship is also missional. Jesus' formula, Jesus' form of discipleship isn't just instructional, it's also missional. It's both a call to come and see as well as a call to go and make. They coexist in Jesus' world. And he called them to go and and make. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of being on a, on a missions trip, going someplace, and serving alongside with your church. Maybe as simple as love where you live, but then the, the neighbor comes out of the house and asks you questions about what church you're with, and you get that, that lump in your throat, like, I have to talk about spiritual things, if you've ever been on a, on a real mission trip where you've gone overseas, you've gone abroad, and you've gone with the intent of sharing the gospel, you definitely get that lump in your throat moment like, can I do this? Am I ready for this? Do I have the right words? I'll never forget one of, one of our mission trips. We were newly married, we were so young. And we were asked to chaperone a trip with college students to Europe. And the goal of the trip was to to force these kids who are finishing Bible college to have spiritual conversations with people who are very like post-Christian culture. They know nothing about Jesus. And we're taking these juniors and seniors before they graduate, you know, and before they go into churches, we're like, hey, talk to someone about Jesus. Like, that's the thing you should probably know to do. And I'll never forget one night. We got the, the girls put up in a room. We were, we were actually traveling through Italy at the time. And, um, and, and there was a lot of fatigue. We've been traveling for a while. Several of the girls weren't feeling well. So we made the decision, hey, we need to stay here tonight instead of getting to, to where we were planning. So we put the, the girls up in a room. But because we were in a place we weren't expecting to be, the hotel was more expensive. We, we got a room for the girls and didn't really have the budget for the boys. And the leader thought it would be a great idea if all the guys just slept at the train station because that would like furnish us with great opportunities to talk with people who we normally wouldn't interact with. You get no sleep at a train station, by the way, when you're sleeping on cold marble steps. But that morning I woke up groggy and grumpy. No one serving coffee on the steps of the train station for us and the other homeless people who've just slept there. And, and I'm there, and I just have in my mind, like, I need to wake up, I need to be ready for the day, and here we go on mission again, and I look over, and there's this guy sitting there. Uh, we were outside of Venice. He's looking over the canal at, at, a, at a cathedral on the other side, and the sun was coming up, and all I could see was his silhouette sitting there, and I just felt the Lord saying, there you go. And I was like, first thing in the morning, I am not ready for this. I need a lot more caffeine, maybe even Breakfast. I can't go talk to him right now I got morning breath that would just be rude that would not win him to Jesus and I'm coming up with all of these internal excuses but the Lord is just like no go this is the this is it like he's looking at a cathedral like this is a prime spiritual opportunity and with fear and trembling I went into that conversation I didn't know what I was going to say my brain was foggy I am not a morning person my willingness to step out was met with Jesus in that moment. All of a sudden, these scripture references are popping to mind, and I'm having a conversation with a young guy about Jesus, and he tells me that he's a Jew, but doesn't know what to do with God. And we're looking at a church, and it's before seven in the morning, and we're having a conversation about whether Jesus is God. Jesus showed up in that moment. Not because I was prepared, and certainly not because I was caffeinated, but because I was willing. Discipleship isn't just instruction, it's, it's mission. It's about a willingness to go, even when you don't feel like you know. Jesus doesn't just send them, though. He has instructions for them as they go, and he's going to speak into this. Mark tells us Jesus sends them with instructions, verse 8 and 9, pick it up with me. He, Jesus, charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to you, but it was significant to them because that's how they traveled. You would prepare and travel in that way, and Jesus is saying, no, you're not going to take the ordinary means of preparation. Jesus deprives them of those normal things that they would take on a journey, and instead, He's asking them to trust him. I'm sure they felt very unprepared then going into the world. But Jesus in this moment, why is he doing it? And and what does this mean for us? Jesus in this moment is teaching them dependency. Jesus doesn't want them relying on what they're bringing, on what they know or what they have. Why? Because the work of transformation depends on who. It's okay to talk to me a little bit in this point in the sermon. The work of transformation depends on who? God, right? Only God can open blinded eyes. Only God can, can pull a dead man from the tomb to release the shackles of sin and shame. Only God can do that, right? Jesus is teaching them dependency on the only one who can really do the work that he's asking them to do, It's not about you and what you know. It's not about you and what you take, whether you're fully funded and have your money bag or not. Just trust me. And he calls them, and he's teaching them dependency. It's one of the most critical truths of the gospel that we need to grasp. And one of the ways that we grasp it is by living on mission. That critical truth being this we cannot save ourselves, we cannot deal with our own sin, we need Jesus, and it really all depends on Jesus. It's the backbone of the gospel. As disciples, then, being sent out on mission, even when we don't feel ready to be sent or prepared for conversation, this reinforces a critical part of gospel theology, That when we go and trust Jesus with the work, Jesus shows up because it's his work. And that critical component of our gospel theology comes alive, not just in moments of instruction, but in moments of obedience. And Jesus understood this, which is why he sent them, even before they were ready. He sent them so they would learn to trust him. Jesus doesn't just send them, says in verse 7, he gave them authority. Here's the thing, God never sends us without equipping us, without giving us what we need. He he granted them, his disciples, his authority. He he grants to us his spirit, the Holy Spirit. For those who who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to us. Paul says in the book of Romans that the same power that pulled Jesus from the grave now lives in you. If the same power that could resurrect Jesus from the grave lives in you, do you need to know more for God to do a work through you? Is it in any way, shape, or form then really dependent on you? No. Jesus just wants our willingness. Jesus just wants our obedience. Because he is providing the power. The power that can change a life. What does this mean for us? Well, first he's teaching them dependency. He's also giving them an assurance of his presence. You and I, we have an assurance of his presence. And part of this then breaks down into this discipleship conversation that discipleship then. Discipleship isn't just learning truths about God. Discipleship at its core what Jesus is doing with these men. Discipleship at its core is learning dependence on God as we join in his work. It's not just learning truths about God. Discipleship is learning dependence on God as we join in his work in the world. If you want to make little disciples of the little rascals that you birthed and are in your home, like as a parent wanting to bring them up in the faith, don't just teach them truths about God. Teach them to depend on God. Because one day you won't be there one day the truths will be tested, but Jesus promises that he will always be there. If you're a disciple maker, if you're a leader of a life group, if, if you lead a small group of students at our church, if you lead a men's or a, a women's Bible study at our church, your job as a disciple maker isn't just to teach truths about God. Your job is to teach people dependence on God, not dependence on you, and not dependence on a curriculum dependence on God as you call them to join his work in the world. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did. But Jesus doesn't just equip them to go. He also prepares them for what to expect when they get there. So pick it up with me at verse 10. He, Jesus, said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. So Jesus equips them, he promises them his presence, he's teaching them dependence as a part of this missional activity, but now he's also preparing them for what to expect on the other end. He's preparing them what to expect. He says, first of all, stay at whatever house you get to. Many scholars view this as, hey, when you get into a town, you're doing ministry or work in that town, and a better offer comes along, don't seek the upgrade. Like the first home opens up and you stay there, and then someone else, as you get to know them, says, hey, I have a pool. Like, no, 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 just stay where you're at. Jesus doesn't want them distracted by other things. He doesn't want them seeking things for themselves. He says, you're here to do the work of the kingdom, So just buckle down and stay focused on that work. But, but, in the process of doing that work, if people reject you and people reject the message, here's what I want you to do. I want you to shake the dust off your feet and move on. I don't want you to stay there and just grunt and and force them into conversation about Jesus. Don't argue them into conversation about Jesus. Don't get cardboard and Sharpie and make a picket sign and picket that they don't love Jesus. Not Helpful to shake the dust off and move on to the next place that is willing to have conversation about Jesus. The scene is unmistakably tied to the events that happened at the beginning of chapter 6. Jesus is preparing them for rejection. And what happens at the beginning of chapter 6? You can look up the page or scroll up just a little bit. the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus goes into Nazareth, which is his hometown, and his hometown rejects him. Jesus starts doing ministry and teaching and doing work there, and the hometown is like, nope. I don't know where this guy's coming from. Isn't this the carpenter's son? And now he's trying to teach us? I don't think so. says in the midst of this, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. Mark goes on verse 5 and he says, and he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And Jesus ultimately moved on from his hometown. Here's the thing. Jesus was rejected in his hometown. Jesus preaching. His miracles were rejected and met with unbelief. So Jesus is simply preparing the disciples for what he himself has experienced. And yet so often in these moments, we take it personally, don't we? Like, I, I, see, I didn't know enough. I knew I shouldn't have done this. I knew I shouldn't have tried to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Because I, don't, I clearly don't know enough. I need to sign up for another Bible study. Maybe in another couple years. Then I'll be able to share the gospel and they'll come to faith. Jesus is pulling that out from under us. It is not about you. Because here's the deal if they rejected Jesus, are we to expect any different? And here's the thing if they rejected Jesus, does that mean Jesus was a failure in sharing the gospel? Yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Good discipleship at home, Dad. No. Did Jesus fail because they didn't believe? No. Did Jesus fail because 11 disciples made it across the finish line, but there was that one guy, he needed the extra credit work, he didn't quite get there? No. no. Thank you again. Absolutely. From the mouths of babes. Jesus was not a failure because he was rejected. So why is it in these moments when we face rejection... When people don't want to hear the gospel, that we make it about us and we say, see, I shouldn't have shared. Or see, I don't know enough. And if I were better, if I knew more, if I'd read another book, then maybe. Jesus is pulling all of that out of the conversation. He says, no, if you're rejected, expect it because they rejected me. And if you're rejected, just move on, just move on. Just shake the dust from your feet. Now this idea of shaking the dust is is uniquely cultural to their day and age and time. The Jews had this practice of shaking the dust off their feet when they were coming back into Israel, having been in what we call Gentile, so non-Jewish territory. So when they were in a non-Jewish area, and then they're coming back into the promised land, they would shake the dust off their feet. Because they didn't want to bring dust from a non-promised place and a non-promised people into this place of promise, right? It was a way of signifying, hey, this is not that. God is here. He wasn't there. And we're keeping this place pure. Now understand, Jesus, when he's telling them to shake the dust off their feet, this is not a slight against Gentiles, because Jesus came for all people. Consider, when he's asking them to do this, he's sending them to Jewish peoples to present this message about a Jewish Messiah that has come. And he's saying, if these Jewish people reject me, shake the dust off your feet. For a Jew to see that would be an equation like, hey, you can't do that to me. I'm part of the promised people in this promised place. But it's sending a stern message that if you reject Jesus as the the person of promise, then maybe you're not a part of the promise. Maybe you're not a part of the people. It was sent as a warning. But notice it it was an action. It wasn't a picket sign. Notice they weren't to argue. They were simply to do that as a warning and move on. The point of all of this, Jesus again saying, rejection's going to come, count on it. But that's not a mark against you. It's a mark against them for their unbelief. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. Don't take it personally And the point as it relates to us as disciples then, Jesus calling them to this obedience, the point as it relates to us then as disciples, we will be measured then ultimately by our obedience, not by success. In, In quotations, whatever success looks like for you. Like, well, I didn't, I had that conversation, I was trying to be faithful, but nothing happened. See, I don't know enough. See, I don't have the gift of evangelism. It's best that we just let those people do all the work. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I just want your obedience. I, I, I'm going to measure discipleship by your obedience and your willingness to go. Because even I was rejected. Even I was rejected. And yet so often in our minds, we think it's on us. And what we know, when Jesus is saying, no, I will equip you. I will lead you. You go and trust me with the rest. Discipleship is missional discipleship calls us on mission. It asks us to go and be a part of God's work in the world. And as we go, we actually learn far more about God's providence and God's promises and his presence with us when we go. But we compare ourselves to the disciples. Even in verse 13, man, they heal people and they cast out demons. Like, I can't do that stuff, so I'll just stay right here. There's so much more behind that. It's a whole other sermon, the difference between the authority he granted them and, just the, and the promise of the Holy Spirit he's granted us. So let's not compare ourselves to those disciples. Instead, let's just be willing to go. So what does this mean for you and I? Let's, let's put rubber to the road here. Let's get practical for a moment. As it relates to this conversation on you as a disciple, what is God asking you to do? What's the takeaway? I want to give you two things. First, in order to really be a disciple and to be on mission, we realize now that means we have to live on mission. Then one of the key things we have to do as disciples then is pray the include me prayer. I used to call it the use me prayer, but another guy introduced me to this language, better language, include me prayer. The include me prayer. What's that? What's that? Here's what the include me prayer is. The include me prayer simply says to God this, Lord, would you include me in your work in the world today. That's it. It's rocket science, right? I went to seminary for that. Four years and a lot of money. <laughs> Here's why the prayer is important. See, what we do every morning is we're called to focus our thoughts and our hearts on Jesus. We spend time in the word. We, we give our day to him. We take our cares to him. But I would challenge you as a disciple, you close every morning before you leave for work, praying the include me prayer. And then pray it again when you get to work and you're about to walk in. Lord, would you include me in your work and whatever you're doing today? And here's the thing, when we begin to pray that way regularly, it gives us eyes to see what God is doing in the world. And it gives us a heart that's sensitive to his work and ready to join in it. And guess what? When we start asking God to include us in that work, guess what he's going to start doing? Opening doors. And suddenly we're ready. And suddenly we've asked him for eyes to see and we're seeing. So often we fall short. We, we pray the other prayers. We pray, God, forgive me and God, bless me. But we fail to pray, God, include me. Let's not be disciples who only ask for God's blessing, but fail to ask that he use us. Because discipleship is not just instructional, not about us and what we learn. Discipleship is also missional, being a part of God's work in the world. God, would you include me in your work in the world today? God, would you include me as I walk into this meeting I know there's people who don't know you in this. I know this is an opportunity for me to to bear my faith. God, I know as I go into this event, they're probably gonna ask me to pray because I'm the only one who ever prays at lunch. And so Lord, would you include me? Would you somehow use that to create spiritual conversations in some way that only you can do? God, would you include me? Pray the include me prayer. But if you're gonna pray that prayer, you need to be prepared for a second thing. The second thing is this, be ready to be obedient and be willing to be uncomfortable. If you're going to ask God to use you, then be prepared to be obedient. It makes no sense to ask God to use you if you're not prepared to actually be used. So be prepared to be obedient. Give him a willing heart. And with that willingness, be willing to get uncomfortable. Here's the funny thing about Jesus. Jesus hung out with some uncomfortable characters. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. Any tax collectors in the room? No. No. Any sinners in the room? Jesus hung out with the poor and the broken, Jesus hung out with lepers the blind and the mute. He hung out with people who'd been afflicted for years and years with diseases that made them unclean and untouchable. And then Jesus came and he touched them. Jesus hung out with some uncomfortable people, so uncomfortable that all the religious leaders of the day refused to embrace this ministry that Jesus was throwing out there. It didn't look right, it didn't feel right. He was embracing all of the wrong people. Here's the deal. If you're gonna pray, God include me, and you're gonna be obedient to go where he sends you, be prepared for the fact that he's gonna send you to places that make you uncomfortable. Because Jesus loves all people. Not just the ones that look like us. Not just the ones that talk like us. Not just the ones that vote like us. And Jesus expects that we will love them as he loved us. And that we will serve them as he gave up his life for us. And he calls us to go and to be the hands and feet of Jesus to uncomfortable people in uncomfortable places. But if your Jesus never takes you to uncomfortable people in uncomfortable places, then maybe you're not following Jesus. Or at the very least, maybe you're just following a sanitized, westernized version of Jesus. Jesus has this habit of inviting us into spaces that make us uncomfortable. Why? Because they grow our faith. And when it grows our faith, we end up looking more like Jesus, which is why discipleship isn't just instructional, it's missional. And there's a certain irony to this, of course, because we're all sitting in rows this morning or sitting online being instructed. And it's easy to hear it in this setting, but Jesus would call us from this place with a willingness to go. And we have opportunity to go. We have opportunity to go this October and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our city with love where you live. And every time we invite the entire church and every time a portion shows up. Would you pray the include me prayer? Would you be willing to say, God, would you include me in that work and give me a heart to obey and set other things aside? We've prayed for Afghans who are trapped, prayed for Terps interpreters that you've served with, that you've longed to see rescued knowing that their life is in peril. You know that San Antonio plans on bringing Hundreds of them here and helping them resettle here. Far be it for the church to pray for their safety and then not show up when they need help in a new place. And so we're praying about how to respond and we're praying about what do we do in the moment when they come. Will we be the church then? Would you pray the include me prayer? Would you pray the include me prayer for the single parent across the street Would you pray the include me prayer for that person at work? Would you pray the include me prayer for that family member that just got diagnosed with cancer and they're asking the questions that matter and you have a Jesus that has the answers. Would you pray the include me prayer? Father God, we come as your children and confess this is an area of our discipleship that is uncomfortable and one that we we tend to avoid father forgive us Lord would you stretch our faith and teach us more and bigger and greater things about you by using us as a part of your work in the world so father give us hearts that are willing Father, give us courage in those moments when we are afraid. Father, I ask that you grant words when we don't know what to say. And Lord, would you use us as the hands and feet of Jesus to show compassion to to people who are wondering if God loves them and hears their cries. So Father, include us this week and the work that you are doing in the world. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.